Happy holidays. We're hey. big gay nerds. Mm. Happy holiday. Mer- Merry <laughs> snowflakes. Exactly. Happy so, cold. Yeah. As many of you have realized, it's... Well, here's the situation. We're dealing with kind of a message from the past deal, because right now for us, it's just a couple of days until Christmas, and I, we're, I may be a little presumptuous, but I would dare say we're all looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds about correct. Yeah. Oh, you guys can. I'm, I'm looking forward to New Year's, personally. Oh, good. Well, that is still ahead for you, future person, so... <laughs> I would consider this to be something of a non-specific holiday special. I consider the last two weeks of December to be the holidays. The Candlemas, if you will. Exactly. Festivus. Winterinemus. I actually got an invitation to a Festivus thing back in West Virginia. Really? Yeah, I let some of my friends do it. Uh, Or I guess they're doing it this year. That's... That's not I try to I avoid anything that uh, involves an airing of grievances, though. <laughs> yeah. That seems dangerous. That sounds dangerous. like my kind of thing, because that usually involves, like, tearing off your shirt and just, like, punching the shit out of people. And <laughs> yeah, I like see? doing that in real time. I like doing that on the tabletop. It's all good. <laughs> I'm well aware of, like, grievances, and I don't want to be there for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep your grievances to yourself. <laughs> I know you don't like me. You don't gotta, like, say it to my face. (laughs) Well, uh, the reason we're doing this is, one, because uh, Christmas is on Sunday, so we're not gonna be able to gather for the usual... That's when we usually do our recordings, so that one will work. So we decided to do a middle-of-the-week, just little casual holiday special. And, uh... Just to reflect on, I don't know, just the good times, as it were. And I want to start it off by just saying thank you to all of our listeners. Because, uh, as I said, I think in the first episode, this uh, started off as kind of a weird pipe dream for me. Just kind of a little self-indulgent concept that uh, Levi uh, inspired me to actually pursue. So. Thank you to you as well. Um, and now, you know, it's actually out there and being published, and people that I don't know are listening to it. What? Um, oh, no. <laughs> That's horrifying. I mean, when you think about it, it's better to have strangers exposed to your weirdness than maybe half of the people you do actually know. You know what? You're not wrong. You are very yeah, much not true. wrong. Yeah. There's a reason I don't link this on Facebook. But but yeah, I just wanted to say uh, thank you to everyone because, um, I don't know, it's just a bunch of support and we're looking to uh, be continually providing you more of this. And so we hope that this can, you know, grow into something bigger than it already is. But what it already is, is something that I'm really proud of. So big old pipeline of steaming hot content. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I hope uh, all of you, uh, all of the people in this recording, have been enjoying it as well. 
Very yeah. much so. Yeah. yeah. This is like re- recording for this is like one of the highlights of my nebulous time frame in which to record. Nice. <laughs> it, it can't specify because sometimes it's every week because of mess ups, and other times it's only like once a month. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so with this time of togetherness, and also in the part that's more relevant to what the li- when the listeners are w- the point in time at which they exist uh, time yeah. of the new year rolling around I thought that we would uh, look back and just chat a little bit about our uh, role playing experiences that uh, predate this one uh, specifically like and this isn't a story that I think I know for almost all of you but how uh, did exactly did you get into role playing in the first place? Boy, that's a story. So, <laughs> um, I used to live in um, like a student housing um, with a lot of my family. Like a lot of my family, we did we basically like shared like three or four different apartments. And um, there was a neighbor who lived like in a apartment complex like a little ways down who um invited me to his dad's uh dungeons and dragons game this was um this was still late 90s so i was a youngin at the time and also they still didn't actually have third edition so this was like nice this was old school um like advanced dungeons and dragons kind of they had a bunch of like modules and source books Mm -hmm. Um, oh did they have like the like the black cover ones i yeah i think they did um oh i love those it's been so long that I actually don't remember. They still ha- like they were really excited because they were about to bust out like, um, like fancy die as opposed to like the old fashioned chalk die. Um, so it was really kind of exciting. Um, I got to play a little dwarf and um, the the little neighbor kid I, I hung out with um, played a kobold thief or something, and I played like I think three or four weeks in a row before my family found out thought i was devil worshiping and then pulled me out of that (laughs) the 90s yeah you got the full experience it seems yeah good old satan i've grown a lot as a person since then i think i really really enjoy 3.5 and therefore I, i really enjoy pathfinder but um fifth edition has really grown on me um over the last year and i love seeing where other people will go with it whenever I do decide to like play with other people. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, I would like to warm up to D&D 5, but I think I've only played a single campaign of that so far and it was like maybe like three sessions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I definitely like I, I one of the reasons I enjoy it a lot more is because it's it's streamlined, but it's yeah. also it's also open for a lot of mo- uh, like modular um, like house ruling, it, it's yeah. deliberately built where like templates can be like swapped and and replaced and fixed um, to your liking. So I've always been really fond of using it. Yeah, that's I have noticed that much. As much as I like the sort of D and D and Pathfinder kind of stylings, like what I noticed with Pathfinder, uh, mostly in trying to uh, GM my own game uh, earlier this year which I recently had to cancel for reasons, um, is that Pathfinder is very fiddly. And sometimes uh, being sure you have all the contingencies kind of arrayed properly can end up taking a lot more time than you expect it to. So, like, for what D&D 5th edition I've played, I really appreciate that it's just sort of like, hey, here it is. 
Yeah, you can kind of, you can kind of, you can kind of take a really quick glance at the rule book as opposed to like pour over it and cram um, with like rote memorization for like little rules that happen. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like it's like a lot of 3.5 sort of like mechanics advancements with like a second edition sensibility. I really like it. Yeah. I'm really hoping to run some 5th edition someday. Yeah. Like sooner rather than later. Maybe, listener, you'll even get to hear it. Ooh. Uh. <laughs> uh. Did, uh. did any of your guys' first time like not be D&D, actually? Yes. Um, Me. Yeah, uh, same here. Uh, Saren, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, my, uh, I don't have a whole lot of a story for this because I honestly don't remember the circumstances at which this sort of emerged. But the first time I played a tabletop game was Werewolf with Genome. Right. Oh, wow. I don't, I, I don't think I had met Genome before this. I think I got introduced to the group <laughs> through a different friend. Yeah. And then I just sort of all came crashing down from there. Did yeah. you just meet everybody through a white wolf own? Um, yeah. I <laughs> think so. Much, yeah. I think white, white, wolf, white wolf games, for all of their flaws, are the reason is the reason I have friends. So Yeah, yeah I, I didn't know that. anyone. I knew, like, one other person in that game when we did it, and it was only the one session, but then I ended up coming back for several other uh, RPGs with you, including all the ones we do on this podcast. Yeah. That also means... Does that mean that you've never actually played tabletop in person? Uh, yes, that is exactly what that means. Wow. Oh, boy. Uh, I had an opportunity, but it didn't work with my schedule, which is uh, uh, a friend of mine works at a sort of... Uh, uh, the, the, it's called, like, the LGBT Welcome Center for our city, oh. and basically it's, an, it's, like, sort of, like, a public space that you, can, that you can go to, and the company that owns it, like, does, like, little public events or whatever. Oh. And they have, like, a youth night, and uh, my friend uh, runs all the youth stuff, and they, like, kind of did D&D there, and they offered to have me come and do that with them, but it just didn't work for my schedule. Ah, uh, that's a shame. Yeah. I think, actually, at the time, was when it, that was when I was uh, running my own Pathfinder campaign, and I was like, no, I don't no. I don't want to leave the house to play D&D when I can stay inside and play <laughs> D&D. <laughs> I, I, I feel like tabletop role-playing is one of those things like where most of the people that like have the like the money and inclination to do it are grown-ups, and grown-ups, a lot of the time, don't have the time to do it. Yeah. 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 That that's more or less how it is, because, like, um, I know the period of time in which i had the most games running was basically like my first year of no it was my last year of high school and then my first year of college um and like that two-year period is when i had the most games running at the same time because i had i was like a part-time student and like a and i had a part-time job which meant that i had a lot of hours that were really flexible so um i just i had a lot of time on my hands and since i still lived with my family i kind of had money so that was when i had the most stuff going on but even still i know that i only played physically D &D maybe like once a month um and then like everything else that i did throughout like a weekly basis was like with a couple of you guys or with sarah oh right right yeah yeah, uh, college was definitely a big time for me with all of, like, the White Wolf stuff. There was, like, a sizable, cer- like, pool of friends, and everyone had, like, ten different campaigns that they would just play depending on what specific combination of people <laughs> were present at the time. That's great. Nice. I like that. Nice. Yeah. It, it was, like, 
it was pretty fun, and it's something that I wish I could sort of return to, but, you know, things are just a little more complicated these days. Yeah, jobs. So, careers. Yeah. The way it started for me was I was about 15 or 16, maybe a little bit younger, I forget. This was, uh, the one thing I distinctly remember was that this was back when I still had a mullet. I can't imagine that. I'm sorry, Owen. Uh, I'll see if I can find some pictures. But um, please, like, do. folks like long hair. holiday season. Yeah, like Sashomaru's got long hair. Everyone loves Sashomaru. That was I mean, literally like, my logic. <laughs> there was a period in time when I had like, like free flowing like Moana style hair, but oh. I had a rat tail. In like middle school, <laughs> I think everyone had that phase at some point. Right now, everyone yeah. is like, "It's like I can I can choose what my own hair looks like." And exactly, like you fuck it up, yeah, because you're not old enough to have that responsibility. Everyone goes through the Dick Grayson as Nightwing phase. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I forget exactly what the inciting thing was. But I had a friend who um, played, uh, well, I was going to say played role-playing games, but when I say role-playing games, what I specifically mean is uh, Steven Jackson Presents, the generic universal role-playing game GURPS. Yeah. So, like, role-playing paperwork. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) And so... (laughs) That's um, a good way to get your start. Yeah. And so... um, he was in a group and I got invited to join and the first game we were in was some kind of weird free formish thing and I was in it for like a session and then they just sort of quit the campaign and picked up a new one and that was most of my experiences honestly a whole lot of yeah. uh jumping around with things but it made me it made me kind of a weird role player to start with because my first exposure was GURPS and so that was just the norm <laughs> for me and so whenever I heard about some like like a system like D&D where oh you have classes you don't just make a whole person from scratch pshaw <laughs> and so uh, we just did that for a while and I collected all of the source books and then uh, one of the players dropped out which might have been purely for schedule reasons, and it might have been just because we weren't playing her uh, Anne Rice game correctly. <laughs> um, but she was one player's mom and two other players' ride, and so the whole party just could not sustain after that. So Man. that was it for a couple wow. of years. And I never ran a game until Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition came out. Oh boy! Yeah, that's uh... and, and I did that for a while, and so now, and so if you ever wonder why I seem to have some weird opinions about uh, tabletop games, it's because my first two systems were GURPS and D and D four E. Jesus so, Christ! So like the two most like bloat heavy ones, maybe. Um, yeah, I've never played D anD D four E, but I remember uh, a few years ago I listened to uh, this pod, a lot of this podcast called Critical Hit, and they were doing a very very long campaign that was completely in D anD D four E, 
I just remember listening to it because I had a lot of free time on my hands. And I was listening to it like, wow, I can't believe this is a game system that people play for fun <laughs> and aren't like subjected to in some sort of like uh, zero escape, nine persons, nine hours, nine doors esque like torture puzzle. Fourth edition, the video and the tabletop equivalent of like somebody smashing James Bond in the balls with like a knot of rope. Pretty much. Oh God. And yet, fourth edition is the type of game where it clearly started off as them trying to do like a retool of fourth edition or like like 3.5 and trying to make it like a new hip one but instead <laughs> of going for like instead of making a tabletop game they went at like warhammer 40k and then world of warcraft and said hey we can do a tabletop moba God. <laughs> oh that's, that's that's basically what fourth edition is i've heard people slamming fourth edition a lot but tabletop moba is maybe the worst it, oh. the the hard the hard and awful thing is, is that I love fourth edition. I honestly because it's like that. Um, for all of its faults, I think now if presented with the option, I would probably like pick fifth edition every time. But um, uh, I feel like fourth edition, and funnily enough, a lot of like the wars and arguments coming out of it, uh taught me a lot about just the theory behind what makes a role-playing game and how it works and the way the mechanic like the reality of the world and the mechanics of the game interact and so <laughs> if nothing else it had a big like philosophical impact on me i think i'm sorry i'm thinking of the peasant railgun <laughs> um, in, in terms of like mechanics versus reality because that's that's still my favorite thing in the world okay i i remember this um please give us a quick summary of so because every round happens in exactly six seconds and because everybody is capable of using an action in six seconds regardless of whether or not um like it's physically possible they they <laughs> shorthand it for the sake of like moving things along so if you create yeah. enough hirelings um for your campaign say um say enough for it to stretch about a mile so um <laughs> one person for every three feet maybe five so you can do the five second the five step rule um that's approximately um like two twenty twenty five hundred. so if you recreate so, the that's german wehrmacht so yeah. you just line them all up in a row, and then you, since it's cheaper to buy ladders and then break it apart than it is to just buy poles, you buy a bunch of ladders, you break them down, and you give one person at the very front of the line um, just just a pole, like a javelin, um, and you have them pass it back to the person behind them, and they pass it back to the person behind them. And you can load a <laughs> railgun in one round <laughs> and then fire it in the next round by having them all throw forward, having the other person grab it and then throw it forward um, <laughs> until it launches um, at a person at approximately like uh, 2,500 uh, feet per second. Yeah. And I mean... It's, it's, it's like that troll physics meme is like... Yeah. This it's like, it takes light however many minutes to reach the sun to Pluto, but if you had a stick that with the length of from Earth to Pluto... And you were to move it back and forth, it would move faster than light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if anyone 
actually tried to do that or like argue that that was why the game made no sense i would just be like dude but it's that's still... clearly like just the gm would step in immediately and go no a i mean GM... it's be- the, the, I, the thing is, a GM could stop you, but it's so arbitrary that it would... They wouldn't stop you until you fired it the first time. And that's all you and, need. And, yeah. But wait. Um, my issue there is, where in the rules does it say like how much extra damage a javelin does if it's being fired very fast? Because <laughs> that's not actually in there. a dog can't play basketball? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what I was going to say earlier about fourth edition is that like it always struck me as the kind of thing that is like sucks to play like as a person <laughs> who has like limitations on your computing power. But if you could automate it, like in terms mm. of like put it make it as a system of a video game, it would be a lot better. But then I consider the peasant railroad thing and realize you've just created dwarf fortress wherein it's theoretically <laughs> supposed to simulate a whole bunch of like incredibly vast and complex things so you don't have to but the flip but side of that is that you can cats. and and also that you can use drawbridges as like atom compactors and things like that <laughs> yeah. no um speaking of like uh automation we actually had an issue um Owen and I with our first attempt at doing a mass effect rpg yeah um, because our initial system was a watered down version of the like the actual video game system, which yes. required way more math than was ever thought possible for a tabletop, and I yeah. I cannot believe we had to deal with that for I think it was like two or three months. Yeah, um, we finally ended up doing a trial run of Lady Blackbird, and we liked it so much that we ended up continuing using an ad hoc version of that. Yeah, and it went so much smoother. Yeah. And I can't. If I if we didn't do that, Lady Blackbird, we would have still played the whole game through <laughs> with that old system, and I would have enjoyed it. But I would have never known the true. Yeah, I, I would have never had that that fulfillment and enjoyment I would have had with that <laughs> with that nice narrative storytelling. There was yeah. a game I found and actually ran a session of. It was a fan-made Final Fantasy RPG that actually used like the stats and mechanics of the video games, or at least oh. like the the common mechanics of the video games. It it like they they couldn't print a book because it was just like a fan thing. But if you yeah. printed it out and put it in a binder, you had an eight hundred page. Holy just, shit! I buy it. I buy that. <laughs> it's not. It's not awful. I played it. It's fine. It's just you have to really want it. Yeah. In, yeah. in contrast, I'm sure um, I can like find it, and we can put a link in the description of this or something. In contrast, hmm. there is a fan-made Paper Mario RPG tabletop that is so simple. You can put it in four pages. Good, and That's it's something, and it's one hundred percent realistic to the game. That Great. sounds delightful. Okay. I'm gonna have to look into I, that. I think the simplest uh, game system I've ever witnessed. I've never got a chance to play this, but it is a game called Big Motherfucking Crab Truckers. <laughs> yeah, and I, believe, I believe the rulebook well, for that is a single page. That. I believe yeah. it is one page. Yeah. I heard of that one. It's oh. um, it was. If I remember right, it was done by the same people who did the um, Lesbians and Monster Trucks one. 
like they like which is exactly hunt. what it sounds like. So okay. when are we playing that on uh on Big Gamers? Oh, because geez. it sounds like it's pitch perfect. <laughs> I'll have to look into it. Um, yeah, I remember seeing that. It's just there was a whole bunch of for a little while there on like the TG board of 4chan, just like right. a lot of just one-page RPGs with like either randomly generated concepts or <laughs> ones that might have well been. You know what? I'm starting to realize that this kind of thing is like the tabletop rulebook equivalent of zines. Yeah. Yeah, yeah pretty much. That's, yeah, somehow, that's basically what yeah. it is, yeah. That makes Man, me like it even more. Take take this idea to the bank tabletop RPG zine. <laughs> where it's just like little independent collections of incredibly short uh like one off game game uh rule books. There was a work. there was a magazine that did that like back in the seventies. They like oh. every, every issue had its own like standalone like game. That's Man, sick. bring that back. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. I think now, uh, Levi, you're the only one who hasn't given their origin story. Yeah, Spill okay. the beans. <laughs> okay. All right. So, my dad was—I don't know when he got into D and D, but I know we played a lot of it when he was in the army. Like he got—he was in like, you know, he was in uh, basic training, and then he was stationed in Germany for a long time, and he had a whole lot of time and disposable income, and he he. So I grew up, he had a lot of just D&D books. And I would read them because they had just these wild pictures in them. Yeah. And, of course, my favorite was always the Monster Manual. Yeah. Because it's just, it's full of just all these weird, like, you, you'll have, like, a bear, and then on the next page you'll have, like, a bear, which is, like, a like a lizard that it's, like, as long like shaped like a centipede where it's like really long and has like 20 pairs of legs and like breathes lightning and swallows people so that that was really fascinating to me and it, so I, I was interested in the idea from like a young age but I never actually got to play it for a long time like I, like me and my brother when we were like you know like nine and six or whatever would like like sort of pretend like, we're just like, ah, oh, you run into a thing, ah, and what do you do? And I was like, ah, oh, it's wacky. <laughs> so, I didn't get to play until, for real, until about high school. And the thing then was D&D 3.5. So the first game I actually played was probably D&D 3.5. And it is, it's good, it's fine. And we did a lot of that. I don't think we really stuck with anything for more than a few sessions at a time. Mm. Which really, uh, it was just like sort of me and my West Virginia friends, and for several years that was our sort of just like approach. Is like we run, we run something for a few sessions until we like got bored or most of the party died, and then we're like, well, uh, I thought of something else I want to do, so let's do that. And another thing we played a lot of was Shadowrun Third Edition, ah. and so that's probably the one thing we stuck with the longest <coughs> in like a sensible campaign was Shadowrun. Which I still I really like the idea of that setting. If you're not familiar, it's like a it's a cyberpunk setting, except in like 2060 or something, magic comes back. It turns out it's like the tides, and like every few centuries, like magic will fade away, and everyone gets used to just like strictly sort of materialist humans only setting. And then suddenly it's like oh shit, Haley's comet is back for like the twelfth <laughs> time or whatever, 
and oh like suddenly suddenly like 20% of the population turns into orcs like people have people like you like you have a child and like you take it to the doctor and he's like yeah this is an elf <laughs> so, so you, you're telling me it's basically like Mirror's Edge but with drow um, I'm not familiar with Mirror's Edge. I'll take your word for it. Hey. Doc- doctor, that the doctor, one? my the... baby is green. Oh yeah, that's normal. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the thing was like dwarves and elves came first, and they were just sort of born that way. And then like a decade or so later, like people suddenly transform into like orcs and trolls. So, but yeah, it's a it's a cyberpunk game where. Basically, every party I've ever been in for that, somebody plays the the street samurai cybered out troll because you are eight because you're like eight foot of solid muscle. You've got robot arms. You've got a giant claymore that's coated in artificial like diamond, and it's just it's it's all the craziest shit you could imagine, and it's great. I've haven't played much of the more recent versions. I heard 4 was kind of... I don't know. I've, I heard mixed things about 4th edition. 5th edition seems good. But 3rd edition was great, and it was really wonky. And it was... So I played that a lot. That's... And one the other last thing I got into big during that time was Exalted, which is my yeah. favorite setting. And it's a White Wolf system, except it's... Uh, it's got a very mythical sort of setting. It's very, yeah. it's very animistic. It's uh, all the players are demigods. Probably, I've actually have run a couple sessions of a more like a heroic mortals game, but it's really a lot more fun if everyone has all the like divine powers. And I, I don't know. It's got that white wolf. It's like we got tons and tons and tons of lore, and you've got a, you've got like eight books full of ridiculous powers along various themes, and I don't know. And it was, like I was mentioning before, it was through Exalt. I was trying to set up an Exalted game, and I met Owen. Yeah. So. I have uh, been in an Exalted game, uh, multiple Exalted games, actually, uh, run by Levi, and <laughs> I have to say that um, he really makes me love the game, partially because when he runs it, you can tell that his... Uh, both love of and intimate knowledge of the setting just kind of flows through in that. And that, I think, is always a big part of what makes a fun campaign, when the guy running it is just really in love with the game itself. You can get a lot of good results out of that. Also, there are dinosaurs that pee heroin, so... (laughs) Well, there's that too, I guess. You know. The problem is the setting is so, like, expansive... Yeah. To the point where, like, the players don't know nearly as much as the characters would. So whenever the characters go somewhere, I have to, like, I explain what they know, like, yeah. at length. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. You, you try to keep that interesting, because, and a lot of the time it is, but sometimes it's like... It's, it's like, okay, in the beginning, there were the, there were the Titans, and they fought the... It's like, and, well, I mean, who's got time? Yeah. Ultimately, exposition like, is still exposition, you know? Yeah. 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 And, like, Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder also tend to have this issue, because um, all of their, all of their like, adventure books rely on you knowing 
the lore of the story, but most of the time it's not actually in those like adventure books. You actually yeah. have to get it elsewhere, and yeah. it's it can be really difficult trying to like flavor up the campaign a lot of the time when you when you only just have like the vanilla source books, um, yeah. which was an issue that I had with uh, 3.5, which had god knows how many fucking books attached to it and pathfinder yeah. starting to do the same now that it's been around for jeez yeah like yeah holy shit how like nearly here? nearly 10 years i think yeah cool. yeah it's Gotta been be around close. since 2007 2008 yeah that sounds oh about my right god uh, yeah i noticed that uh that problem whenever i was doing the campaign the pathfinder campaign uh i was doing a campaign of iron gods uh, right, which is yeah. a f- very fun setting because it's just a fantasy. It's it's sort of the inverse of Shadowrun, where it's a right. very strictly fantasy setting, except uh, there's lots of space alien garbage all over, and so you no, have the like spaceship crashed. You, you have laser guns. And, yeah, you have orcs and wizards or whatnot, but then like the orc is holding a chainsaw, and <laughs> and it goes on like that. But um, uh, so it's Warhammer 40k. All right, a little bit. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but the except the like sort of D and D version. It's not nearly <laughs> as grim. The uh, the issue I had with it though is uh, in trying to because I did not want to like strictly run the campaign out of the books. That's not super fun all the time. But uh, <laughs> so in trying to uh, uh, actually sort of customize it, I found out like oh hey, well I want to take I want to see what is sort of within the canon for the setting, and found out that all the information for the setting is scattered across like five distinct books. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's not great. It's not yeah. the ideal setup. Luckily, yeah. there are wikis, so that helps a bit. But It helps a little bit, but it, they're still kind of sparse in spots, so yeah. you kind of have to grab from multiple wikis in order to get the full scenario. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You run into that in Exalted a lot, too. Like, the core book has a lot of stuff in it, but, like, mm-hmm. every book just piles on more and more sort of in-depth sort of lore stuff. Yeah, like like in the core book, it's like it's like this is the underworld. This is where people go where they die, and there's ghosts there. And then there's the underworld book where it's like you find out that one of the ghosts is like was an accomplished author, and she, like she keeps publishing from the underworld, and her books are worth a lot more now that she's dead. And she's <laughs> she's just been running this soap opera like serial series for like three hundred years, and the characters now are great grandchildren of the original characters. Uh, yeah, that. Yeah. That comes up a lot for me in uh, the World of Darkness stuff because, uh, I mean, oh yeah, it's not <laughs> quite the same because its setting is our setting. You know, it's modern fantasy. Um, well, it's it's urban like paranormal horror, but um, but there's like Ill- but there's like Illuminati conspiracies that are like quasi canon depending on which support modules you use. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and. Like, you'll read some stuff about, like, a wizard faction, and you're like, okay, yeah, I understand their thing. Um, I'll get the book specifically about that faction to learn a little more. And it'll be like, okay, here's, like, the intricate rituals and stuff that are, like, intimately tied into their existence. And it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. Because there, it's not just the issues, like, with knowing stuff about the setting. It's like, if you're going to play one of those characters, how much of this are you actually going to pay attention to? And how much of it do you even need for the story? Yeah. Because, like, if it's just modern fantasy, you can just kind of horse shit just about everything you need. Exactly. This is, like, the entire reason I've ended up personally over, like, the last year or so. 
uh, kind of having a change of heart towards uh, apocalypse world adjacent systems and things mm. like that that are very much just sort of contingent on improv. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's also why I've been doing a lot of world building and actually just kind of setting up um, like pre-made house settings um, for like whatever games that I do um, or get involved with. Because um, there's the the Ring of Fire is just like a small portion of like a larger world that I use for other people. So like in another campaign that I'm doing, um, which is actually on like D and D fifth edition, because I I still really love that uh, a lot, and my friends are all kind of getting bored of Lady Blackbird and like my with my other games. So we decided to spice it up, um, and it's just it's just in a country like across the sea from the ring of fire. So it's kind of fun and it's really, it's really easy to do. Cause it's just kind of, um, a lot of it's improv, but the, the basic premise is okay. So let's do like a, let's do a handful of like cultural counterparts that all of us are aware of knowledgeable in, or like raised in and just mm-hmm. kind of kit bash something together. That sounds fun. Yeah. yeah. That's a... I would say the the alternative to that is... Uh, or not to that, but like to the strict improv is like also just like, hey, homebrew settings with things that people who are playing the game are interested in. Yeah. Like, I've, I've seen people uh, who are doing a sort of world-adjacent system actually like build the setting first in like microscope or something like that yeah and oh, then and then do a world-based uh system based on that microscope setting we should so everyone play microscope sometime on the podcast and then incorporate it into a game <laughs> yeah if anyone's uh, not aware microscope is a system that is basically built around the idea of taking turns to build a setting and the history of that setting and it's pretty fun. It's very improv based, especially in the yes and idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like once someone says something, it is canon. So there can be that can lead to some weird kind of almost uh, like elements of competitive world building in mm-hmm. some yeah. cases. I had that in the first time. Like I ran the game with the same sort of dudes I ran like D and D and Shadowrun with, where they were like. Since you can't go back and say that no, this didn't happen, you say it's like you have to do something else. But you can still like try to like fight over stuff. It was like, well, I put in Zulu. It's like, yeah, well, I've got the dragons, and they they conquer the Zulu and rule over them. It's like, oh, yeah, but now the Zulu uh, make a pact with the flying sharks, and now they ride flying sharks and kill dragons. Yeah, <laughs> that's always like, good. All right, but the chosen one of the flying shark Zulu is half dragon. He's gonna he's gonna rule over all of them. You <laughs> know, like oh. seeing how like story stuff changes like over time in between editions. I wonder if that's like more or less how they how a lot of different art, how a lot of different writers come together and like work on stuff for the next edition because a lot of it tends to be like two writers arguing over like which character faction is coolest yeah it's, it's especially apparent in like warhammer and in like um exalted mm-hmm. from what i've seen but it's it's really yeah. entertaining in anything that lasts longer than three editions elminster's yeah. coming for you <laughs> okay you say all you got us magic 
<laughs> Say all you will about 4th edition, but they publish an official adventure module called Elminster Must Die. <laughs> Great. And you get to kill Elminster in it. I mean, it is definitely... I'm sure Ed Greenwood would say it's not canon, because... <laughs> Because in it, Elminster doesn't use his special ability that just teleports him to safety whenever he's about to die. But uh, you know, you so, get some fun stuff with those. Yeah. So that's a basic, rough, meandering overview of where we're coming from, I guess, in terms of role-playing stuff. And so, um, what have we got? Besides what we've already mentioned, uh, what have we got on our uh, wish lists, our uh, sort of New Year's resolutions for games? What kind of stuff do you want to do for this game, or even just, you know, off the record, stuff you're planning on doing in the coming year? Ooh. Hmm. Mm. That's I don't a know tough it's... call. Like, I, I, I feel like I said, like, the ones that are off the top of my head of things I would like to do, like oh, do something where the world was built by the players in Microscope, or uh, do... Uh, I wouldn't mind playing more... Uh, I wouldn't mind playing a White Wolf system again, like a World of Darkness or something adjacent. Since it's something that, like I've said, um, has sort of been a big part of my experience as a role player, it's something I would love to do for the podcast. Um, there are honestly some friends from college who... Uh, could potentially have a place on the podcast later on. It depends on if I can uh, make schedules work and get in contact with them. But yeah, mm. that would be fun. And honestly, I would love it if uh, Levi ran Exalted sometime. I oh. do like the idea um, because it was Sarah and my first game together. Um, if I can find the rule book for um, one of um, TG's um, first. Um, systems that it uh made uh way back in the day in like 2009 i think 2008 mm -hmm. um trigger discipline it was uh yeah we actually did tape uh play testing for it um really early on in its uh inception um and i kind of like the idea of going back to it again just because um it was really fun I don't really know yeah. what we would do with it, but the the idea that it works similar to how Monster Hearts works, where it's like television seasons, yeah. is really oh, exciting to the, me. So that's the mech one. Yeah, well, it's um, it was made to be a mech one, but it also is basically like a you can easily use it for like a slice of life um, oh, style okay. show or like um, we ended up using it more or less for like a Cromarty High. Um, oh. setting oh, with um, with Harry Potter magic rules. It was entertaining. Oh man, yeah. that sounds great. That's where uh, you oh, got. I gotta rewatch it. That's that's where you got those uh, two characters. Where uh, anyone who has played a certain amount of stuff with uh, Sarah and Ian, uh, they've got these two characters called uh, Chloe and Angus. I'm getting the name yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, who are just these uh, two like petty jerks who also have some weird like what's the specific like greek word for the issue they have oh god i cannot remember it's uh, not they, so it's not sophism it's nah. um it's like the philosophical belief that since like my experiences are the only ones i can verify oh, I solipsism. Must be god 
Oh, okay. That's yeah, it. Soul Obsession. Yeah. Okay. So, they're, they're two insane characters who were also, like, a- asshole jerk jocks um, <laughs> that were really fun and were so fun that we ended up using them again in, like, a World of Darkness game with, um, with... Oh, no, wait, Owen, you didn't actually play with that one with us, did you? Um, was it the Hunters one? The one with the, like, guys yeah. in the sewers? I ran that yeah. one. Yeah. That's right, I forgot. <laughs> I thought it was... I'm sorry, I thought that was Dag who was a part of that one. Okay, he no, was, no, that's right. He was one of he the He was players. a player. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, I, yeah. Yeah, I ran that one, and that was the one where uh, Sarah's character volunteered to become a vampire. Yeah. And, cool. um, yeah, it was really good. And, uh, like, I think those two is where we both kind of started, like, kind of semi-recycling characters mm-hmm. um you'll notice that i tend to use a lot of like templates for a lot of pe- whenever i play a game um with um owen uh with owen especially but with just about everybody else i play with i tend to use like a, a template of like six or seven people that i just kind of like swap around and uh, mix and match until it matches a class and then just run with it i've gotten good results out of it i definitely i have a lot of fun it's not something I do every time, but I've definitely had fun repurposing characters in new systems in new ways. Like, yeah. in the old Mass Effect game, I had a gay Turing infiltrator named Pallas, who was sort of like the like kind of one sane man in the group. And then later on, I reinvented him for a GURPS Infinite Worlds game, where he was a rogue agent from this weird merito-communist dystopia reality so yeah yeah uh, that, that does sound yeah i remember you telling me about that that was really fun um i ended up doing something similar with um i actually have a game that i'm setting up for with um one of my other um in one of my other games where i'm actually going to try and retool uh verm the krogan character from my massive yeah. game so we're going to yeah. see how that goes cool um hopefully he won't die this time <laughs> <laughs> we'll see we'll see so, uh, uh, sorry, I I kind of uh, tossed uh, the idea of Exalted into your lap, but Levi, is there any, um, do you have any in particular to-do lists uh, for well, the podcast or otherwise? I've got a, I've got a real hankering to run D&D 5th edition. And All right. <laughs> I want to do sort of a real, sort of, I don't know if throwback's the right word, but just, like, you start in a settlement and it has some problems like nearby and you sort of you walk into a bar and you get hired to do something and then that spirals out of control right yeah it's like like a settlement it's like well our watchtower got you know the people who are manning it died and we don't really have the people to spare to go look into it there's a there's a there's the guard house down the road that what then keep us safe from bandits but then you know the bandits took that over it's just like just real like not like murder hobo i know that's sort of a pejorative term this like to say it wouldn't be like first edition it's like you find yourself in yon dungeon it would be a step removed from that but it would just be like yeah you're a bunch of uh level one assholes who have uh weapons and need money this might be the i wonder if this will be the game where sarah finally gets to be a tank and i finally get to be a full magic caster Oh <laughs> yeah, that might be fun. That and could be fun. Yeah. The thing I really want to do with that is not really like 
at the beginning, just sort of have it be just a very generic D&D setting, the D&D setting. Like, how you know yeah. in, like, the player's handbook and, like, the monster manual. Like, Phandalin like, or Faerun and stuff like that? Yeah, it's just, like, very, like, the sort of generic pastoral western medieval fantasy. And whatever I need, like, in the future, I could pull that up. I think it would also be great to just, like, start with that. Like, in Microscope, there's something called, like, the palette, which is everyone, like, pitches in something mm-hmm. at the beginning. It's like, it's like, I want this to be a no-human setting. And everyone's like, all right, I'm cool with that. Oh, yeah. So, I, was, I was thinking of mentioning that earlier, is it has the fun system where you can specify things you want and also things that you don't want. Yeah, you can so also you say, can like... veto things or just, like, be like, hey, I don't know how they're going to be in here, but I want there to be robots. And they're gonna that be does robots. remind me, I do have a no-human setting that I have been building for a very long time, and oh, I might... Nice. I might have us do it maybe... At some point, <laughs> like way later down the line, I I yeah. imagine this is like a year or two from now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But yeah, I would like my my uh, pitching on the palette would be pastoral Western medieval fantasy, and then we could just go around and everyone's like, well, I want this to be a part of things, and it might not start that way, but I would find a way to work it in eventually. There is cool. a fun one. There is a fun like um, there is a fun D and D setting that isn't like pastoral um medieval england but it is really disc world like um on no. like set on top of the back of a turtle kind oh. of thing wow. um There's i wish i could remember what it's called but it, huh. it's fantastic because that's the one where halflings ride dinosaurs oh um, is that eberron i think that's eberron yeah i didn't know eberron had like a was like that cosmologically but it might be if i like double check it i know that the <laughs> idea is that eberron itself is like a dragon that became the world so maybe that's a literal reading of that yeah eberron, eberron is, is it's basically yeah. disc world uh but like thrown into D D. um yeah. there's like mm-hmm. chunks of like th- there's hints of a city that's that used to be like their version of uh Ankhmore pork at some point uh yeah i can see so, that yeah, yeah. Eberron is, I, I like because it's like pulp D&D, but specifically looking at the spe- sort of social tones that led to pulp. So it's like yeah. immediately after the end of a hundred year war. And it has a lot of things that seem like they could be interpreted as like kind of magic punk. Like there's some technology like trains and stuff. But yeah. it's more along the idea of, okay, so if like wizards and stuff are this common why like hasn't magic influenced the way that life works you know man yeah. it's sort oh. of looking at magic as a technology in a way that's cool yeah and there's mm-hmm. also like um like kind of these guild slash noble houses that almost act like mega corporations and also it as robots so magic robots but yeah the warforged are fantastic the warforged are neat because they look cool and also like they're a metaphor for veterans which i always yeah. thought was interesting like they were made to fight in this war and now the war is over and hmm they're kind of screwed they don't know what to do they have no yeah. purpose they just kind of wander and nobody treats them right yeah. i love those little guys that's cool that's cool setting but yeah i'd, I'd be into uh the, the idea of sort of a sandboxy um kind of open-ended D 5e that sounds great yeah. yeah. And of course I'd be happy to run any kind of exalted. Mm. Like whatever yeah. sort of whatever flavor of demigod you'd want. Yeah. Vampires. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
you like can sun be the, guys you can furries. be the furries yeah. yeah the one that i was almost in was definitely going to, it was an all furry party <laughs> yeah all right okay well the lunars are shapeshifters most of them choose to take an anthropomorphic animal form for like Let's, combat don't take purposes. the fun out of it for them <laughs> they, 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 got, they got to do what they want um, I know I can't really entirely speak for Sarah but I know that she's she really wanted to do like uh, a game based on Inception yeah. and I know she wanted to yeah. do a GURPS game for us but I don't know if she wanted to do both yeah. or like combine them so that's also something on the table for us too. Yeah, I think she's mentioned uh, the idea of doing a survival type game, like. Oh yeah, that too. Oh yeah. Which could be interesting, like being on some kind of an island with like mercenaries or something on it. I think she very specifically was like drawing off of the Far Cry games, which could be which could be real cool. Kind of fun. I um, I did do a really nice survival horror game that was actually the reverse of what everybody expected. Um, it only played for one Halloween campaign and it was fantastic. It was like mm. three sessions long. Um, if you, we played with, um, Pathfinder monster CR rules and everybody played an oh. undead being oh. chased down by, um, five white necromancers. And it was super fun. And oh. cause, um, like, cause of the way hit points work, like you could kill, you could kill a, like a white necromancer and they'll just come back cause they can, oh, like because they have like negative hit points but like when zombies die they die so i i played off of that a little bit that's um, pretty wild yeah we had like a um we had like a demi lich um like leading the rest of these like whites and ghouls like uh basically out of a church and into um not open water but like out to sea um to try and make their escape and um all but one of them um didn't make it and it was really exciting that sounds cool what i am definitely if we do any kind of horror thing uh since the podcast is sort of set up to be supportive one shots and stuff i do like how that does open up things to become very quickly fatal so yeah <laughs> i was gonna say the other the only other thing on my wish list is uh, i actually just was looking it up and found out it's by ben robbins the guy who made microscope oh. and it's a game called kingdom Oh. And it's basically the idea is that your kingdom, quote unquote, is it can be like a kingdom, but it could also just be like any kind of community or group of people, like the staff of a hospital in this very sort of a Grey's Anatomy kind of sense, oh. or like a Wild West frontier town. But basically, the idea is that every player uh, is make has a certain character who's sort of like a a pillar of the community and has a certain role that gives them the ability to shape the narrative, and it's kind of like a collaborative uh, tragedy maker, almost. Oh. Ooh. I like that. Be I like that because the like idea that. is that the game ends when uh, the people who are the pillars of the community uh, think that the kingdom is no longer tenable. That's really cool. I like so that. So that would be a fun thing to play. Definitely. At a, at a, in, at a nebulous future point in time. Yeah, that sounds like it would be great radio. <laughs> Reminds me of uh, something I read. I've never been able to pitch it to anybody, but it's a like a mini system called Red Rimmed Eyes, and it's built to do basically one thing: is like you're a band of adventurers and you go out into the woods to hunt a, like a monster, and like everybody has one thing that is vital to the party's success, and like every night, like 
it's it's a lot like that. It's a sort of like interactive tragedy makers. Like like characters are going to get exiled or died frequently, and when you die, you come back as the threat that you were like as the player that you were like going to prevent. Like if you, it's like I'm a I'm a I'm a warrior, and I have I have the lantern that's going to keep the goblins from killing us. It's that sort of thing. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. It's, I like those it's, a lot. Yeah. All right, all right. I can get behind that. Yeah. yeah. Another little thing I wanted to try is everybody is John. Oh yeah. John is a. John has a very oh, yeah. bad case of a uh, multiple personality disorder, and everybody plays one of them. And everyone has their own secret goal that they're trying to make John do, and whoever gets the most points towards their goal at the end wins. Huh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember uh, hearing a bit about that. Uh, I would very right. much be interested in playing that. I don't I don't know if it's actually good, because it's something that I've never been able to try. But, yeah. There's a lot of little stuff like that that I think would be nice to try. Yeah. I am just always having uh, often untenable Game Master aspirations. So if I was going to list like every possible thing I've wanted to do, it wouldn't necessarily. I don't know if that would pan out, but uh, the main things I'm interested in doing for the podcast specifically, and I think most of them I'd wait until we've done a full season of Monster Hearts. But um, one is a lot like Monster Hearts. Um, it's based on the same mechanics, but it's called Masks, and it's basic. Um, Monster Arts is based around like sort of simulating playing Buffy or Twilight, and Masks is about uh, playing Young Justice or the Runaways. Yeah. So it's like okay. it's like a teen superhero simulator, and I backed it on Kickstarter, which is part of why I want to <laughs> go for it. Um, from looking at it, I don't know if it's quite as like mechanically tight as Monster Arts is. But I like a lot of the ideas that really play into it, namely the idea that um, your stats fluctuate depending on uh, what other people's opinions of you are. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Oh, no. I love that. That's there, really good. <laughs> that reminds me of um, like one of my favorite things in 5th um, edition. Um, the Dungeon Master's uh, Guide has um, a seventh secret... Uh, attribute that can fluctuate up and down depending on how much this character has like flubbed their social standing called honor <laughs> and oh. you can use that in place of charisma wisdom or intelligence for a lot of roles oh. um, it's a little some, bit like oh sorry uh, and sometimes or in the game that i'm starting up uh the fifth edition one that i'm doing um sometimes i will like secretly let a person uh make their role but i'm actually rolling their honor one for them um, That's really good. Yeah, it's really great. I've been enjoying it a lot. Well, in masks, um, they sort of represent different facets of how people look at you. If people see you as like a paragon or a threat or dangerous or weird or just mundane. And those are the stats you use to roll for everything. Like if you're going to punch someone using one of those stats. So. Right, right. So that's what I'm into, and I think I, it would be fun, especially especially with uh, Ian and Levi, because I know you're the big comic guys, and there's another comic mean, guy. 
Does this mean, like, we can do just, like, any old superhero stuff? Or is, like, comics in general open? Because that would mean some... That could mean some really good things mechanically if this means I could just, like, waltz in as, like, He-Man. Or, like, like a G.I. Joe character. Or, like, somebody from Transformers. I don't want to go too deep into it right now, but I think there are ways (laughs) that that could be viable. That's fair. And the other big thing I would like to do, also because it was Kickstarter, um, is a very different game that I've mentioned here a couple times, and, uh, well, I haven't mentioned on record a couple times, and I don't know if uh, everyone is necessarily psyched for it, but I would still like to try it sometime, because it's called Red Markets. And it is, uh, just to very briefly talk about it, it is a, um, an economic horror game involving basically a zombie apocalypse happens, but you still have to worry about paying rent. Good. <laughs> I, I do like that. Um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure how up for it I would be, like, once I saw the mechanics for it, but... I, yeah. I think I think I could get into it, um, just yes. like on that premise alone. That I'm going to be running a little playtest thing. Yeah, gonna be running a little playtest for it um, relatively soon for another group, and I'll t- let you know what I think about it after that. Please do. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we're past the hour mark, and I think we've covered just about all we intended to. We definitely recorded more than we necessarily thought we were going to at the start. But hey, I think we I think we covered everything we needed to do and managed to like fit it nice like nice inside of a the a usual format. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I hope that this weird rambling episode um wasn't too boring for anyone. But you know, hey, look, you know what? It's the holidays. Cut us some slack. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You 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 get away with it this time, Owen. You should be grateful you're getting anything <laughs> at all, you ingrates. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah, again, thanks to everyone for listening, both to this episode and all the ones that came before it. If this is your first episode, then you've you've got a lot of backtracking to do. Um, but I think you're going to enjoy it. Um, <laughs> and uh, thanks to all of you guys for helping me make this a reality. So anytime, uh, dude. Until yeah. then. Uh, Happy holidays and happy new year. Drink some Enjoy yourselves. Have a good one.